Hey everyone, my name is David Crawl. And I'm Michael. We're a couple pastors here at Vintage Grace. Welcome to the Text Lab. This is a place where each week we do a deep dive into the text to help you prep for life group this week. Our goal is to help you make disciples who make disciples. So whether you're just leading a life group or whether you're just trying to do some deep diving on your own, we hope the Text Lab helps you have meaningful conversations about what God has said in His Word. This week is John 2, 1 through 11. Let's get into it. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed in him. So let's talk a little bit about what's kind of going on, what's relevant background to this text. There's no wine at a wedding feast. This is a tragic event, and not just because people want another drink of wine, okay? Um, You really need to understand there's this honor-shame culture going on here where this would have been devastating for the family. It would have been a public embarrassment. It would have been a family disaster, something that they maybe would never recover from. Um, a lawsuit could have come from this between the the, uh, the husband and the wife and their families uh, because they ran out of wine. And so that's kind of helpful to kind of know that this is a really big deal that the wine has run out. And uh, Jesus says that his hour has not yet come, meaning he hasn't revealed his glory fully here. Um, but what we do have is these massive jars of wine holding 120 to 180 gallons of wine. At the end, that's 900 hundred bottles of wine. That's a lot of wine. (laughs) That's like a Safeway aisle worth of wine. Yeah, totally. So just to help you kind of get that picture here, um, and and as we unpack this narrative, we always want to ask a couple of simple questions. What happened? Kind of getting the general overview of the story. Why here? Maybe kind of asking, how does this fit in John's gospel? And kind of another third question of what does the author want us to know, feel, or do? Um, Why is John including this story in this spot. And and so these questions kind of all flow around three basic uh kind of questions of the author's intent, logic, flow, and the big idea that is in the text. And part of what's helpful of asking questions like that is it would be really really easy to lead a group discussion on how to serve Jesus in the mundane. I was literally at a at a winter camp and the closing session when they usually give you the whole go down the mountain and like love God that he went up there and said You know how at the wedding feast in Cana, when those people, they didn't even know what Jesus had for him, but oh, they got out there and they started filling up the wine barrels and (laughs) it was mundane. There were so many gallons of wine. They had to keep going and they just served Jesus in the mundane. So you, when you get home, serve Jesus in the mundane. That was a compelling talk. I remembered it. Um, But the fact of the matter is that is not John's point at all. It, It has nothing to do with serving Jesus in the mundane. So 
Of course, we're not wrong in saying that serving Jesus in the mundane is important. However, that is not John's primary point of the passage, which is why we're asking questions like, what happened? Why here? And then what specifically does John want us to know, feel, or do? And so here's a couple things to be thinking of as you're looking at that. Maybe just ask those simple things and have people maybe repeat back some of the story, but be looking for some little key significant things like, for instance, the wedding metaphor. Maybe you could ask, what is significant of the wedding metaphor? Because here's something great about John and his writings is this wedding metaphor pops up all over. Okay. So you're going to see it in this gospel, but you also see it in Revelation. Right. Revelation 21, wedding feast of the lamb. Right. And that, that is kind of the culmination of where Jesus's ministry lands is everyone together celebrating what he's done for eternity, but it starts with this wedding feast. And so there's some really cool connections that John lines out for us, even among his own literature. And then a final question maybe to ask in that section is, in what way does this sign glorify Jesus? How does turning water into wine glorify Jesus? What's the point there? And what are we supposed to know about Jesus as a result of this sign? So by and large, asking some of those questions should get you to the big idea. So David, what what do we think is kind of the big idea here in this text? Well, I think capturing those big ideas of the wedding and then especially even the wine that is going on here. John is telling us narrative that has a point. Just as you read this, what is the big point? What is the big idea? Why is he telling us what he is telling us? And so I think you do see this wedding metaphor. And then uh, also with that, you just see the imagery of the wine. And it's not, like we said, it's not just a little bit of wine. It is 900 (laughs) bottles of wine on the wall that are here in this story. And so um, you really have to kind of Think about where else is wine talked about in scripture? Why is this being pointed to here? And uh, a place where you see this really mentioned is in the book of Joel. Uh, the The prophet Joel in, in Joel 3.18 says this about wine. He says, in that day, so he's talking about this future day, the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water and a fountain will flow out of the Lord's house. And so he's talking about this day and he's looking forward to this messianic expectation when the mountains will drip with new wine. And here Jesus has just made new wine. He's turned water into wine. And so I think there's this big emphasis there of two things. One, just this new covenant that has come. Mm-hmm. Jesus is new wine. Um, this this new way of, of salvation, this new life in Christ, this new good life that is in Jesus, it has come. So Jesus is fulfilling that here, this messianic expectation that's being talked about here, but just also the abundance of the wine. Just so much wine mentioned in this passage really has the idea of just abundance and overflow, kind of like we talked about in chapter one of grace upon grace, just abundance of wine here talking about that's, that's just this picture. That's just this uh, picture of salvation, the way John describes the new covenant here in abundance, um, which really I think kind of gets us into this place of thinking is Jesus all that I need? Mm. Am I receiving this abundance from Christ? Michael, how does that kind of play out as you think about what that means for us today? I think even just reflecting on the fact that he is all that we need. Mm. And I love what you just brought up about the imagery in this messianic provision of wine. And as I think about that, I think so often um, in my life, there are things that I think I need more than Jesus. Um, coffee's an easy one. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I cannot get my day started without some coffee. Uh, sometimes I have to have coffee before I meet with someone with, for coffee. Yeah. Any, anybody <laughs> else? Okay. Maybe that's it's a sign <laughs> that who you're meeting with. Anyway, just kidding. Uh, listen, 
I sometimes think to myself, oh, I need this to be good or to be like at, on my A game. Yeah. But sometimes I don't start with, oh, you know what I need for this meeting? You know what I need for this next thing I'm walking into, this next uh, you know, conversation I need to have is Jesus. And something that I've just been kind of convicted of lately in the past week is, is really like, man, am I starting there yeah. for anything that I'm doing? Am I starting with Jesus, you're all my need. You're all I need. Uh, and, and I think really one of the phrases we use around here at Vintage Grace for that yep. concept is being desperate and dependent. And what's cool about God and how He seems to work is He loves to allow us to arrive at places of yeah. desperate dependence. Yeah. And I think that's when I most clearly know that He's all that I need. I can be sure that He's all that I need. Um, and so what's cool about that too is trying to think of man, okay, how do we know he's all that we need? How can we be sure he's all we need? Well, sometimes it happens when you're just in that place of, uh, I've got nothing. God, I need you, you know? Yeah. Well, and I love that, what you just said there, because you have to be desperate and dependent before you can actually receive abundance. You have to know that you're thirsty and you have to be thirsting for that before you can even receive that. So I think for me, I even kind of just start with that question of, do I recognize my Mm. desperate dependent and I think how you even get to a place of being desperate and independent is just recognizing the depth of my own weakness, the Mm -hmm. depth of my own brokenness, the the truthfulness that like everything I touch on my own apart from Christ crumbles. And I, the more that I try to lean in my own effort, my own ability, my own talent, my own skills, things fall apart. And so just waking up each day and, and when you're recognizing your need, when you recognize your sin and your brokenness, not to try and overcome that on your own strength, but just to be with God in that, just to acknowledge that. That's actually the place that Jesus tells us we need to stay in and we need to yep. be in is recognizing that. And so just waking up every day and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't I can't parent well without you. For me, I can't pastor well without you. I can't make it through life today without you and staying in that place of being desperate and dependent. So I think a great question in, a gr- in our groups is um, to kind of really get stories going that build really connection and authenticity, really making it concrete, is what would it look like to be desperate and dependent on Jesus every day? Mm. What would that really actually look like? How would that change the way you live? And then another question here, what rhythms do you need in your life to consistently return to a posture of desperate dependence mm. on Jesus? How do you do that day in and day out? Yeah, and as you're exploring that, saying like, hey, what does it really look like? You're kind of just imagining, like, what is desperate dependence? How do I get there? What does that mean? And then oftentimes it's helpful to have people even share, like, hey, when was a time in the last month you were desperate and dependent on Jesus? And if you can't answer it or if I couldn't answer it, maybe that's a good telling thing of like, yeah, in the last 30 days, I don't know if I was very desperate and dependent on Jesus. And um, so maybe that'll help you guys get there in your group time is encouraging people to share and then just kind of reminding each other about ways to be consistent on that, that just posture of being desperate and dependent. Hey, thank you guys for spending your time with us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This is our promise to you. We're going to do our best to make this time valuable for you, the leaders. So if this is helping you in any way, please let us know. And we really do hope you feel equipped, encouraged, whether you were just hanging out with your kiddos, whether you're driving to work, whether you're mowing the lawn or at the gym. um, We really, our prayers that this would help you walk through the text this week. And as always, do your own prep, right? You want to let the Spirit lead. Ask the Spirit to fill you before life group this week and know that you are one who is sent this week into your group, into your family, into your Pray Watch communities, wherever God invites you to be the living proof of our loving God. We love you guys. We'll see you next time on the Text Lab.